Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. If you have a look at um, the represent- gender representation in STEM subjects, so science, tech, engineering, maths, it's 80% men. Mm-hmm. And that is essentially like what the funnel looks like of people who are entering into tech roles. In the Women Who Code Career Nav segment of our show, you'll hear real world advice from people who are currently working in the technology industry and personally know the steps needed to succeed. Hello, and welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. My name is Anna Sher Wilson, and I am the program manager for career navigation here at Women Who Code. Today, we'll be talking with Florian Pickering, who is the partnerships manager at Academy. We'll be talking all about tech education for software engineers and data scientists. So welcome, Florian. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So um, I'd love to start off a little bit talking about Academy and the mission and kind of giving context to why we're talking about education and upskilling today. Yeah, amazing. Um, so essentially, Academy was was founded to tackle the growing skills and diversity gap in tech. Um, and, you know, when I refer to sort of that gap, we um, you know, I'm speaking about the UK, but I do think that that does apply to the US and, and globally. Um, and Academy works really closely with employers who have essentially recognised this gap and the issues this gap creates. Um, and they've dedicated themselves to being agents of change to essentially diversify the tech industry. Um, and so the way that Academy works with, with businesses is by sourcing selecting, training, um, onboarding and growing diverse talent, um, but specifically from non-traditional backgrounds. Um, And so we've developed what we believe is the most scalable way to build high-performing tech teams that are reflective of society at whole. Um, And so essentially where we aid employers uh, is by screening people into their business based on potential rather than out because of a dearth of uh, skill or experience. Um, so that's sort of the, the mission at large. Mm-hmm. So Academy was founded by Ash, um, who is currently our CEO. Um, he worked previously at a business called The Hut Group, which was um, a retail company, um, tech retail company in the north of England, um, who essentially he and the wider business recognised this dearth of, of tech talent. Um, and so they decided to bring, um, you know, the training in-house. And so they decided to upskill, um, you know, essentially what turned out to be thousands of people um, to move them into tech roles. And so um, over the course of his eight-year tenure there, he scaled the headcount from 100 to 5,000 people. Um, and that was the essentially the basis um, of the methodology for the current academy um, as it is now. So, yeah. So um, that's really reminding me a lot, actually, of um, people that come to Women Who Code digital events. One of the most common questions is, like, do I need to go back and get a computer science degree or do I need to get a CS master's or things like that? So can you talk a little bit about what a non-traditional background looks like, like when Mm -hmm. you are inviting people? Is it 
someone because we do get also get people that were computer science majors but then still think that they need more so what does that look like for academy what does a non-traditional background look like yeah so i i mean i sort of see it in two two pillars i'll start with the first pillar because um i think it's i think it's almost the trickiest in a, in a sense but um if you have a look at um, the represent gender representation in STEM subjects, so science, tech, engineering, maths, it's 80% men. Mm-hmm. And that is essentially like what the funnel looks like of people who are entering into tech roles, whereas it really shouldn't look like that, right? Like we should be having a hugely more diverse, like, you know, fl- influx of people into tech roles. And so I think that, you know, essentially like, hiring managers are just harassing this same pool of computer science grads um, rather than looking for potential. And so that's like one piece. So the non-traditional background is in like, um, you know, people from subjects other than STEM. Um, So English, history. um, So like that's that's one way of seeing it as Mm non-traditional. And then the other sort of non-traditional is women, you know, people from low socioeconomic backgrounds, um, minorities. And so like we're taking this double pronged approach about, you know, who those uh, people are, but the, the sort of the commonality is the fact that there is like an abundance of potential, but they're just not in the places where we're traditionally looking Mm -hmm. essentially. Yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit more about your application process and like demystifying that a little Mm -hmm. bit um women who code our volunteers run a ton of like workshops on interviewing and things like Mm -hmm. that and like the stress of interviewing for a tech job I think keeps a lot of people out of it because they think they're going to be tricked they think it's going to be like trivia so how have you approached that issue if people don't have access to the same opportunities like how can someone prepare or how yeah. do they even know that this is an opportunity that they can prepare for? I guess that's two questions, but. So I, I suppose to take one, and I would completely like sympathize with that because I think that the status quo to date is this idea of like, you know, what tech stack do you know? Um, what degree did you do? What, you know, what result did you get? And, you, you know, you mentioned earlier, you saying about like, you know, a question from year 10 maths right like why why do you need to know that to enter this role so I think that's one piece like I sympathize that people are are worried about entering into these roles because that is actually like historically what they may have experienced um but the way that we sort of like have approached the admissions process onto our program is um in order to be able to test for potential and to be able to open up that pool, like we can't be just looking at comsci grads, like we need to take a step back and, and, you know, we look further. And so we've developed this, um, you know, 60 hour assessment tool. So it's not, it's not short, it's, it's very in depth, but what, what it does is it allows us to identify high aptitude in tech for people who have no, or, um, you know, very little prior coding experience. Um, and we focus on IQ, EQ and drive in, in these in this sort of assessment. Um, but, you know, as we've said, we, we want to allow the funnel of, of people, you know, to mirror society. And so, you know, we 
we we have really opened it up to make it as sort of open as possible. So um, the way in which we sort of, do, as you said, support candidates throughout the, the admissions process, if we go from sort of, you know, the beginning, um, we take a human approach from the from the get-go. So they have a call with like our talent team. Um, the talent team then just like informs them like what they're applying for, make sure that they're aware of, you know, the differences between say full stack, data science, backend, et cetera. Um, and we then start with Thrive, which is our psychometric test. Um, and so this is definitely just to get more of a scope of the person's personality. Mm-hmm rather than a pass or fail um, as to whether or not they're going to make a good coder. Um, To give you an example, you know, Thrive may show us that this person struggles to work autonomously. And so, you know, when we interview them in follow-ups, we say, you know, they'll be asked about a solo project. And, you know, often we find that candidates might have struggled previously, um, but they have coping mechanisms as to how they can work better, you know, alone. Um, And so, that's sort of the first part. But then the second part, which is what I think is 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 really, really awesome, is is the the coding test that we've um, well, it's not really a coding test actually, but it's it's a, a block coding test that we've established called Blockata. Um, and it allows us to test for logical reasoning and problem solving capabilities without um, you know, the participant ever having to have come across code. Um, I don't know if that's a good place to sort of like delve into that more. Yeah, I would love I would love to hear more about uh, more about that because mm-hmm. I think um, one of the biggest challenges that we often see is um, also people not having the time to or having to like have a job at the same time. So. Um, I would love to hear more about like the the assessment and like yeah. what support is given and also kind yeah. of why, um, like what were the motivations and like what results do you see by having this kind of um, assessment? Yeah, absolutely. So essentially, I think, you know, in terms of accessibility and also, you know, talking about this idea of time, um, you know, once a person has entered into the admissions process, we're quite flexible with when they sit their block mm. offer we want to ensure that they are like completely comfortable um, with like how that block coding works. Um, and so they're given as much time as they need to get familiar with it. And so they're sent resources, which they can sort of like go over themselves. Um, you know, we're completely aware that people learn in different ways and at different cadences. And so there's video tutorials, there's written tutorials um, and you know, we 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 give the 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 candidates a few time slots, but if they want to push the test back, they can. Um, and then they essentially tell us when they're ready to take it, and we'll book them in for that two hour coding. Um, and just going back to this idea of like, like the human aspect, essentially, like yes, while Blockada is scored um, by people, it's also scored. Sorry, while while it's scored automatically, it's also scored by people, and so humans like there's humans reading the submissions and so say someone hasn't created a working function you know for a particular answer um you know if they got really really close to um you know they got close to it or they've shown like sturdy logical reasoning as to why they've submitted the answer they did then they will still be awarded points um and so it's not didactic you know it's it's really allowing the flexibility of 
hey, you know, maybe with a bit more practice or support from Academy, they might actually have done like really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, there is like a, a test in place, an assessment in place, but our approach to admissions is um, very personable and very human. One one question that I also had kind of, mm-hmm. you're, you're touched on it a little bit that like the people that are advising the students and things like that have like a vested interest in them finishing and things and, or getting in. But, mm-hmm. you know, there is the market for like retraining programs. Yeah. Is very, at least in the United States is like yeah. very, of uh, for-profit companies is like very full. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you said, either you just said incubator or in our previous conversations, you mentioned the phrase incubator. So yeah. for our audience, um, what would you say the difference is between like a traditional boot camp um, and an incubator? Yeah, so it's an it's I mean that's a really interesting one. So Academy is unique from a perspective in that um, you know we have developed this proprietary assessment which does allow us mm-hmm. to test for potential. So we actually do delve into a lot to the actual person themselves and like you know will their IQ, EQ and drive, you know, lead them to be a good coder as well as us being able to see their logical reasoning. So I think there's a lot of pre-preparation that's done, um, you know, in advance of uh, the program to, to like really give us an accurate understanding of, of that person's success in the role. To give you an idea, like 90% of the people who've moved through our um, program are in software engineering or data science roles. So like we know that it actually is a really good indicator mm-hmm. of a success in the role, but also enjoyment so that they, we know that they will actually like enjoy their role. Um, but another piece that's really important to us is the fact that like we pay our scholars, like on the incubator program, we pay our scholars while they train. Um, and so it gives them actually that ability to say, um, you know, I'm going to focus on my learning. I'm going to have the option to, I have been, you know, I've been gotten onto this program and I can actually really focus on my learning and not having to worry about, you know, paying rent or, you know, getting public transport, et cetera, things like that. It just, it just really hones in on those 15 weeks of, of training. Um, so I think that's where I, I would see it as being quite unique from other sort of say boot camps, which are maybe shorter and you pay for them. Um, however, you know, something that we are really focusing on a bit more at the moment. Like, yes, we have traditionally, and we can, we can talk more about like why grads, um, mm. but we have sort of like recognised the fact that Blockata, you know, can be used by anyone to test to see whether or not they'll be a good coder. And I love this idea of like, you know, you mentioned re- retraining, like internal mobility pathways or something that with the current sort of, climate which we know is sort of like quite fraught that internal mobility pathways are a hugely powerful offering for a business to say hey look like we don't want to make you redundant we want to keep you in our business because we know how valuable you are your current role isn't needed right now but like we can move you elsewhere and we could see your potential elsewhere um i use the example of zapier because i think that they're doing an amazing thing with secondments at the moment where um they're moving a lot of their, or they're, they're, you know, they're offering retraining 
um, for a lot of their like people and talent teams into mm. other roles in the business. So that's just one example. But I think the beauty going back to Blockada is that like we can test people in businesses um, to see whether or not, say, someone in the customer support team or the warehouse team actually does have that technical aptitude to move into a tech role. That, that's a great segue into my another thing I'd love to touch on, which is how you work um, mm-hmm. with companies. I saw that, you know, companies basically sign up with you. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, well, I guess speak more about that, but like, yeah. What, and like, why, why, like, how did you get them to do this yeah. <laughs> for lack oh. of a better way to say oh. that? Like, how, how do you create buy-in yeah. um, in, in the corporate world? Yeah, for sure. I think that, I think what we've sort of like recognized and distilled recently um, is that the, it starts with the intention of the business to want to cultivate a more diverse workforce. So like they need to be invested in creating that change because, you know, without that desire to actually cultivate change, they're, they're not going to be, it's not going to be fed in from the top. And it's also not going to be fed in from the people who are actually like supporting the integration of those engineers and, and data scientists. So there has to be a desire for change and there has to be a desire to reflect the diversity of society in their business. Once you've sort of got that, it's like sort of a bit more of an easier like movement into actually like, okay, what, you know, like what size cohort are you looking for? What tech stack are you looking for? And we like build that out. It's very much a bespoke Mm -hmm. solution that we offer to businesses and like the cohorts are business by business. So it's very much like something that we've now moved towards that we're exclusively working really like with businesses to create them custom cohorts Um, because that does allow us, as I said, to, you know, if a particular business has a tech stack that they want to ensure that their new hires can adopt quickly, not to say that they need to be like masters at it, but that they can understand it and they can assimilate once they, once they move in. So that's the sort of like, you know, creating those custom cohorts for businesses. But then there's a huge piece that enables the, the success of those cohorts and of those um, sort of, you know, people when they move into those roles is upskilling the managers of their, of their teams about like how to work with diverse people from non-traditional backgrounds, right? Because that's, you know, that's a piece in itself. And I think that, you know, conversations that I've been having at the moment, which are super important about this fact that for for diverse people entering into the workforce for the first time, like a lot of them will be going into places where people don't look like them, whether or not that's, you know, people who, you know, they might be in like completely male teams and they're like the first women to go into that team. Like there needs to be guidance about how best to work with, you know, a new woman in the workplace. So I think it's just like pieces like that. Like, yes, obviously once we've sort of like cultivated the cohort and we've grown the cohort over those 15 weeks, we want to make sure that we do have the the buy-in from the teams that they're going into that they're going to be supported. And so um, there's a couple of ways that we do that. We do a lot of leadership training within the businesses themselves, but we also have mentors um, who work closely with 
um, you know, the once the once once our people have gotten into their roles, they have the support of a mentor who's not within the business for six months or more, who that person can say, hey, like, how do I deal with this? And the industry mentors so they can, you know, offer advice that's that's based on real world scenarios. So it's almost like you are helping the companies like outsource a lot of the training that maybe they don't have the resources to do. Like they can just yeah, I mean, it might partner with you. They do it. have the resources, yeah. but it's just not something that they have. Like, they might not have hired like diverse grads before. Mm-hmm. They might not have like had a custom cohort of software engineers created for them. And so it's just offering. Like, I like to see it rather as as like yes, it's resource, but it's also guidance as to like how best to take advantage of the talent that you have sort of hired. Let's talk a little bit now about um, kind of a little bit more generally and mm-hmm. like someone who's getting their first tech job for the same yeah. for the first time. So in your from your position or your colleague's position, mm-hmm. what are some of the themes that you see emerging that's like challenging for people? Mm-hmm. Um, let's start with with getting their first job, which we yeah. talked a little bit about, but mostly like once you're in it, mm-hmm. what are some challenges that you see people having and any like strategies that you've picked up in your conversations um, and yeah. work? I mean, I think this is, um, and this is obviously like going back to like, my, I I love my company very much. I think that what we're doing is awesome. And so I would sort of answer your question with maybe like where challenges have been historically that we have mm-hmm. tried to essentially resolve. So Yes, while a huge part of the 15 weeks for our um, for our candidates, or we call them scholars, for our scholars is to, um, you know, get up to scratch in full stack engineering or data science, as much of that training is also about soft skills and leadership. And so it's about when I enter into the workforce, like into, into the workforce, into the workplace, when I enter into my new job, like, how do I act in my team? How do I act with my manager? How do I take accountability for my own learning and my own job responsibilities? Um, so it's getting them to hit the ground running like as an employee. Um, but then there's also certainly a piece of how best to word it. It's well, it's 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 that it's that piece there. So that's one piece of sort of like the soft skills. But then also um, you know, we train them like very their day-to-day in their 15 weeks very closely echoes um their day-to-day in their role so they're doing sprints they're doing stand-ups they're moving their way through tickets like they're resolving bugs so we we want to make sure that the issues that might arise from like say a short boot camp where someone's like never been experienced in a tech role before can be like essentially assuaged during the 15 weeks and that it's really closely like echoing sort of what their day-to-day will look like. Cause I think that that is probably where, you know, before, before, before we sort of, you know, when we're doing our research about like bringing new people in who don't have any experience in tech, like where are the issues that are going to arise? And it's in the rituals of day-to-day tech roles, essentially. Mm -hmm. That's actually, as we've been talking, I'm thinking a lot about, you know, as someone who works full-time for Women Who Code, I, yeah. you know, I mentioned to you before we started talking, um, we get approached by a lot of different 
things and a lot of different models. And I was wondering, um, you know, I think a lot about, I don't know if this exists in the UK, but in France, mm -hmm. there is this model called 42 and there's also, it's like all over the world mm -hmm. and anyone can get, it's huge. So anyone can start and then they start cutting the people like slowly, slowly, slowly. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering kind of as you scale Academy, well, one, what the size is right now. And as you think to scale, like what are some of the challenges? Because the model I just described can reach a lot of people, but then like, is like pretty harsh, which is different than what it seems like you're describing. Mm -hmm. um, so my multi Would you go into a bit more detail about that 42? Yeah. So how does it, how, what's the sort of so this? There, it, it exists in many different countries, mm -hmm. many different ways. And it's um, basically, they have this like pool, it's called mm -hmm. piscine, which in French, which means like, it's like open and yeah. you can sit it multiple, multiple times. And, and so like thousands. The tech, tech test? Yes, but it's like a weird test. Okay. I'm going to be, I'm going to be looking into this. <laughs> Definitely. I recommend. Okay. Um, but that's very, that's very interesting to me because anyone can like walk in. And then also like, for example, public universities in South America are the same. So anyone, anywhere in Argentina, for example, if they can get the money together to like move to Buenos Aires, they can yeah. go to the best university, but then like they fail people very harshly Got because they, you have to. Um, and not, I'm not an expert at this other school, but like, that's the impression that I get from a lot of different models is that, mm -hmm. um, when you're scaling, like you have to start like failing people or they start with this model. That's like much wider and then going down. And it seems yeah. like your model is very different. So I would love to hear like, what are the, what you feel are the benefits of that? Like more hands-on model. Yeah. And then if you're starting to scale larger, cause you know, Mm -hmm. we're like a global organization and like we connected. Um, yeah. And so I, I would imagine like your, the sites are quite large. So as you're, so it's two parts, like yeah. the benefits of your model, um, even though it might reach less people, but then also yeah. like how, how to scale that model as well. Yeah. I mean, these are, these are like the hard hitting questions, right? So <laughs> to start with the, to start with the, the sort of the model itself, so for every 1,000 people that we screen, we take on 10. Okay. So, so it's not exactly the same. But not exactly yeah. the same, not exactly the same. But, like, we, we're very realistic throughout those 60 hours about, like, who we're taking on. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, it is a tricky one because, like we've had such success to date with the people who've finished the course and the roles they've moved into. And so, you know, it's hard to tell, you know, as a sort of still a young company, like, you know, what will happen if we sort of like were to scale those cohorts um, much larger, they're still very small, like they're 10 to 15 people at a time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, does scaling them larger, like, does that correlate to, you know, less success rates at the end of it? Um, I don't, I don't think so, but equally it's hard to say when you haven't sort of like got the proof in the pudding. So I would say like, watch this space. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I would, I would love not to be going the route of Pusheen. Is that how you pronounce it? And then it just be sort of like cutting people out as we go along. Um, and then 
I think that in terms of was that the sort of the next question about like sort of like scalability from the sizes mm-hmm. of, of businesses? Well, from that perspective, that is kind of like unlimited. So we can run like multiple cohorts at a time. It's just down to making sure that we have the the right faculty and the right programs to to be able to ensure that our like our scholars are our most important piece of the puzzle. And whether or not that's scholars that are grads or retraining, like we want to ensure that they have the best possible experience. And so that's why, you know, I wouldn't see that the the size of the cohorts that we're training, they expand, but rather the number that we're running at the same time expand. Um, And I also think that, you know, with larger businesses who are looking for, say, 100, 200 different hires, then they're not going to be looking for 200 full stack engineers. They're going to be looking for a real like sort of division of labor in a sense or division of the kinds of roles that they're looking for. And so you could sort of essentially create those cohorts around the different sort of tech stacks that are required. Um, But these are like my, you know, these are my personal hypotheses about like where I see the future of the business. But Mm -hmm. I think that as I said, like it's it's very much like I, I do think that in many ways the world is our oyster if we have the buy-in of those people who actually do want that change to be made. Like once you've got that, as I said, it's it's that's the hardest bit. The hardest bit is actually getting people to want to change the status quo. Mm-hmm. That that brings me to pretty much my last question and then I please, uh, anything that you want to add is like, you know, some of the challenges um, that is faced. Um, I think it was a perfect segue because you said that's the, some of the hardest part. And so I'm wondering um, in your role, Mm -hmm. where does that kind of like fit in? Um, Like what kind of education does the company do like generally in in the UK, like, do you, are you finding like people asking you a lot of questions yeah. um, before even like becoming partners and, and things mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. I mean, really, really good question. I think that, I think that the, the main blocker that I see is that in the UK, there's like a huge piece that's being done now on, on gender pay gap reporting, right? So that's one element. So, so there's one element of people knowing that they need to change and increase diversity in their workforces and increase like salary brackets, et cetera. So I think that, you know, there is an awareness that change needs to happen, but when it comes to something like diversity and also the digital skills gap, which I like to see hand in hand because of the job that I'm in, but it's such a massive beast of an issue that I think people look at it and go, where do we start? Like, where do we start? And so Academy is very much trying to position itself in like, we're we're looking after this for you. Like, this is something that we can support businesses with to offer you diverse diverse talent from non-traditional backgrounds. Like, it's as easy as that. And so I think it's, that for me is the obstacle is to actually just like allow people to see this is not such a huge, big obstacle And it's actually something that we can, like the change can be instigated like relatively quickly. It's not like years and years long process. We're not trying to fundamentally change like 
the makeup of society. We're trying to go to the businesses that make up that society and say, you guys are like the buying power without sounding too sort of, (laughs) you know, commercial, but these are the people who can actually invest in, in the diversity. And so one of my, one of, one of our partners worded it perfectly. She said, businesses have the responsibility to like increase diversity in tech. Like they have the responsibility to do it. So it's getting them to realize that to allow us to sort of like step in and say, Hey, we'll, we'll do it for you. So I would say that's the bit of a waffle. I would say that is is my main issue. Like getting a company to realize that they are the one who is responsible for instigating the change. So on that note, I'm just, uh, is there anything that you'd like to leave our community with as they go along their day after listening to this wonderful conversation? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, one, one, one of our scholars said this, and so I hope I don't, I don't um, sort of do it an injustice, but she said, like to anyone who is, you know, thinking about code and whether to enter code and then get worried and think it's not for me, like you are the people, particularly women, who need to, who need to enter code. Like you are the ones who are going to make the change. And so if there's any hesitation, like let that, let that not exist. Like let, let do away with that because that's the people who are going to be like the diverse the diversity essentially in the tech industry are the ones who are hesitating. Well, thank you very much, Florian. And it was wonderful talking to you. You too. It was absolutely delightful talking to you. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash Women Who Code. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.